We're going to start this morning, begin this morning in Galatians chapter 1. If you want to follow along there, we're going to start there. And before we get going, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we have this incredible privilege of coming into your presence with your people, having this special day and a special time with you, where we can close off and cut off all the things in this world and the distractions in it, and we can focus on you and praise you and delight in you and lift up your name and receive from you and be ministered to by you. And I just pray, O Lord, right now that we'd all settle our hearts and our minds and we would, you would speak to us, you'd minister grace to us, and that we would, we would hear your word and we would receive your instruction and be affected and changed by it. And we're so thankful that we're in Christ in whom we pray. Amen. Well, as we get back into our series on becoming a church on mission, this week we're going to be looking at how how the church got off mission. Last week we looked at how the, what the church looked like on mission and how they were devoted to God and to one another and expressed the love towards one another. Well, in this week, we're going to see what happened to the church as we look at the church that, that went along for quite some time, and then about the third or fourth century, things really started to change. And we're going to look at that and what happened and why. And this last, last time I spoke, if you recall, the church, when we looked at the church, it was really a vibrant, loving, life-filled church that was devoted to God and to one another. And, 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 and things remained this way, in fact, for the first two to three hundred years after Jesus. And of course, in saying this, let me be clear. I'm not, I don't want to give the picture like there was no troubles or difficulties or struggles for two to three hundred years and then everything came. It wasn't like that at all. There were plenty of struggles and difficulties and churches that needed to be corrected and stuff that needed to be dealt with right from the get-go. However, if you look at the church as a whole, what the church was marked by and what the church was characterized by, you see a church that was truly, as a whole, generally speaking, loving God, loving one another, serving the community around them. In fact, they, they gained quite the reputation. As, as things unfolded, there was actually quite a bit of persecution upon the Christians, and there was a lot of stuff said about them in terms of testify testimony even from the pagan world and within of the state of the church for example in the 200s a great leader in the church named justin martyr spoke of christians the general christian way like this we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who has who needs it we used to hate and destroy one another, and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. So here's Justin Martyr in the 200s describing what the church was like. It's truly a glorious description of what was taking place. Tertullian, who lived in the same time period, uh, reported that the Romans, this is what the Romans were saying about them, they said, see how they love one another? They were, they were identifying, looking at their actions and, and noticing how they loved one another. It also needs to be noted that at this time, the love 
of the early Christians wasn't limited to their fellow believers. Christians also lovingly helped non-believers, the poor, the orphans, the elderly, the sick, the shipwrecked, even their persecutors. They had a reputation, even among the pagans, of being loving. They were amazed at times how they loved people and how they loved others. There's quotes of them speaking of ways about the Christians that they were, in fact, they thought they were kind of crazy in their love because they would even love people in leper camps, being willing to contract leprosy just to help and to serve those people. It's no wonder, then, in this particular situation, the first two, three hundred years, that the gospel spread rapidly throughout the ancient world. The love they practiced drew the attention of the world, just as Jesus said it would. But in the third or fourth century, things began to change. And the first thing we'll notice is that as the church got off mission, is that God's love for us in Jesus was no longer central. Another way of saying this is the gospel was no longer central. It, they drifted from that centerpiece. And this, this isn't something that was that new. It was, it's common for the church to drift. And it was happening in the church in Galatia. That's why I had you turn to Galatians chapter 1. Which There you'll see that the Apostle Paul was seeking to bring them back on track. They were getting off center... And now he's trying to bring them back. The difference, however, wasn't just that there, you have a, a church doing that. In the, in the time, the, the two to the three to four hundreds, you'll have the church as a whole really starting to drift off center. But let us read Galatians chapter one, six through nine to Paul's rebuke to this particular church. He says in beginning in verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, obviously, the Galatians situation is specifically different than you find in different segments of the church throughout history. But in principle, it's very much the same. They were being taken away from the centrality of Christ in the gospel, that he is their righteousness, by, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that one receives the righteousness of God, that, by which one is saved before God, by which one is made holy before God. They were drifting from this. Oh, no, no, no. And they were adding things. They were getting away. Fundamentally, the principle is this. If you want to understand what fundamentally goes wrong with a church, you get away from the gospel of Jesus, you get off center, and then you start going after other peripheral issues. And in some cases, you become outright heretical. But that's the drift. That's the move. You get away from center. In the third century AD, the church moves from being a church under persecution to being a church experiencing prosperity. This is one of the big factors that caused the church to drift. Prior to the, prior to the 300s, you had the church under intense persecution. 
But then in the 300s, what happens, some of you might know this, some of you might not, is that Constantine became emperor in 306 AD. But he didn't become emperor of the whole Roman Empire until 324 AD. There was conflict within the Roman Empire. And around this time, he became a Christian. And this changed things dramatically within the empire. Because prior to this, Christians were hated and thought of as treasonous for not worshiping the emperor and thought of as as causing actual natural disasters because they didn't worship the pagan gods that could have prevented them. So they see them refusing to worship those pagan gods and these disasters happening and they're blaming the Christians for it. As a result, they were put to death by the thousands. And it's because of this that one would only become a Christian if they deeply believe the truth about who Jesus was and what he did. You're not going to become a Christian if you you realize that, well, would I want to become one of them and then put everything at stake and perhaps even lose my own life? Well, you'd only do that if you really truly believe that Jesus was who he says he was. And ironically enough, though, it was in these times of persecution that Christianity became the most prominent religion within the Roman Empire. Under this intense persecution, it was even Justin Martyr who said that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. So under this intense persecution, the church is growing. And it isn't. they start to get super nervous. They can't kill them fast enough because it's growing and growing and growing. And it's growing in a way that's like having a massive impact because these are serious Christians. But things change. Under Constantine... Uh, things, in in a lot of ways, you'd say got much better. They certainly got easier, that's for sure. As one historian described the developments, in 313, Constantine came to an agreement with the Eastern Emperor Licinius. The result was the Edict of Milan, which protected the Christians from persecution. The Edict improved on Galerius' Edict of Tolerance. Some of the benefits included the reclamation of property, reimbursement of losses, and legal rights in disputes. And then next, Constantine issued a series of legislations that forced the Christian, uh, sorry, sorry, that favored the Christian clergy. Henceforth, church lands were tax-free. The clergy would receive an allowance so that they could focus their energies on serving God. Christians also had permission to obtain help from government officials in building new churches. Constantine himself would embark on a building frenzy of churches throughout the empire to glorify his new religion. But the price for Constantine's generosity was, and here's a mouthful of a word, Caesaropapism. I have to say that fast three times. This is what that means, which means, and, and I, have, I, I included this in the quote, because when I read it, I had to go type in what is Caesaropapism. It means monarchical control over the church. That's what that means. Through the church, Constantine controlled the Christians in his empire. The bishops now found themselves serving as Constantine's principal advisors and following his will. Many bishops actually owed their possessions to Constantine. In return, Constantine gave them religious and judicial powers. However, the side effect of the worldly involvement on the church and vice versa was the disgust of some Christians 
who fled to the deserts to begin a hermetic hermetic life, leading to the rise of monasticism, end quote. So basically, it was, you go from intense persecution to intense prosperity, from horrible times to incredibly good times. That sounds, I mean, what a difference. This is, this is amazing, actually. I mean, you, you just, the freedoms, the blessings, the goodness that is coming upon the church was just, I mean, p- past understanding, especially understanding where they were prior to this. So this was dramatic. But you can also see some of the, the effects that it would have. This now draws a lot of people to the church well, for what you could say, spurious reasons. I mean, there's obviously there's a there's now an attraction to it. You 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 could look at th- that and say, wow, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? And so it also attracted, as you can imagine, what would it mean if you if you now you become a bishop and you get a position and you get w- of, of that high ranking and you get well paid, you get this beautiful church building, you get housing. And you get incredible influence and power with the emperor himself. Who's that going to attract? A lot of people who like position, power, money, all of that. So that's the problems with it. I mean, prosperity is great, but it also brings with it all kinds of other temptations. Now they have different struggles, different difficulties. It's not just trying to figure out how you can stay alive. Now it's trying to figure out how you can get the best position the most money, and the nicest house. So, so now you st- instead of having a church built upon the love of God in Christ Jesus, and it's seeking to love God and the people around them, and that being the centerpiece of the church, it's now seeking to settle in and establish its presence. The church got caught up in power games, building projects, and professionalism. And it began to attract all kinds of people who wanted their piece of the pie. So God's love for them in Jesus, as I said, the love for them in Jesus is no longer central. The gospel's no longer central. It's no longer the central message that they wanted to carry to the ends of the earth because it was so amazing and so good. They had other issues that captured their attention. Within the church, whenever you take away the centrality of God, you take away also the mission. The mission goes with the gospel. And it's always been true that if you look at a church that is not reaching out and making an impact on the community around her, you're seeing a church that's not living in the goodness of the gospel. And as Paul would say to the Galatians, I'm shocked that you've turned so quickly. I'm shocked that you've turned away from this goodness of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that you were accepted, that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you're just before God on the basis of nothing that you've done but on the basis of God's goodness and love toward you in Jesus alone. So when our hearts are captivated by this and we understand this, something happens. Something happens when we realize how God has loved us and what's at the center of the church, what's at the center of the pulpit, what's at the center of all preaching, what's at the declaration of the church is that Jesus, uh, God through Jesus has loved you and given his life for you and made you fully and completely righteous. You are accepted by God. You are beloved. You are brought into the family of God. You now have union and communion with God in Christ Jesus. You're reconciled. God loves you. And you're his child. He's, now you have life and you have life eternal. 
You take that message away or get away from it and get into peripheral issues, everything changes. Because by consequence, this is what happens. Our love for God and others is no longer central either. Inevitably. The reality is, is that we love the, lose the love of God for us in Jesus, then we lose our love for others. In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is, is perfected in us. God's love for us in Jesus Sorry, if, if whenever, whenever this stops happening, whenever we stop knowing and understanding and realizing and living in the love of God, what happens? But inevitably, you won't love one another. You won't love the people around you. You won't love the world because you don't understand how you've been loved. But John finishes this section in, uh, in chapter 4, verses 19 to 20 by saying this. We love, listen, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So as you can see, if we do not love the people around us, it is because we do not know the love of God in our hearts. Or you drift away from it. The moment you drift away from the centrality of the gospel, from the centrality of this message, from it affecting you, from you understanding it, from you living there, is the moment you drift away and begin hardening your heart towards the people around you. The more, the more you understand, the more you live in, the more you know the gospel, the more it affects your soul, your heart, and the more it affects the way you live to the people around you. As John says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So it's just a one-for-one connection. You drift away from the gospel and you'll drift away from your mission. Bingo. It's inevitable. You see a church that drifted from its mission, you'll see a church that's drifted from the love of God. Period. You want to know where it is in relationship to the gospel? Does the church know the gospel, believe the gospel, live in the gospel? Watch their lives. They will be loving God, loving one another, and they'll be seeking to love their neighbors and the people around them. They can't stop. They love because they've been loved. So if love is not coming out of the life, then love is not dwelling in the heart. And if love is not dwelling in the heart then the love of God is not known and understood. As Greg Boyd put it in his book, Present Perfect, we can only love others as Christ loved us if we are in fact living in Christ's love for us. 
So if we're not living in the love God has for us in Christ, if you're not living in the love God has for you in Christ, you will not love others as you've been loved. You can't. You can try to love. Like, man, I need to love. We need to get loving. We need to get on mission. We need to start reaching out and extending. We need to start loving one another, loving our neighbors, loving the people around us. You can say that all you want. Do you think you're going to? No, all you're going to do is start beating yourself up about how unloving you are. The first thing and the priority is always to center yourself in what, how much, and, and live in how much God loves you. If you understand and know how He loves you and what He's done for you in Christ Jesus, if you understand the cross, if you, if you dwell there and live there and live with the gospel as center in your life, inevitably, the moment you get it and understand it, you, you're compelled to love. And the problem is that we can also think we are or be committed to the gospel in theory or get committed to the gospel in our head, but it doesn't ever affect our hearts. And this is often what happens. This can be what happens when things get very soft and comfortable and cozy in the church. As we began to look at the church in the 3rd and 4th century, there was a tremendous amount of peace, prosperity, power, prestige, and many began to love the church for what it offered them in an earthly sense. And much of the teaching was about what God said in regard to politics, policies, buildings, governing, social affairs, and the like. So if you're to go into a church, there's a shift in teaching. There's a real focus and a central aspect. Sure, there's, there's still a pulpit. They still have people, bishops, who get up there and teach the Word of God, but now they're teaching it to the concerns and issues of the day that really front and center. Yeah, we all, we've heard about Jesus. We heard about the cross. We heard about all that. But could you tell us, you know, what does the Bible say about politics? What does the Bible say about governing? What does the Bible, what does God have to say about building projects? What does God have to say about public policy? Because that's kind of where their hearts and heads were. They were now thinking about those things because that's, they're no longer just being terribly persecuted, clinging to the gospel for their life, knowing that I could die tomorrow and I want to make sure that for eternity I'm with God. That's no longer, that, that, it's like, okay, yeah, we all, preacher, we know that, heard that. Can we get on to other things? That's kind of what the, what starts to happen. And of course, they, they would never deny, they still believed in Jesus. It was the, 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 in fact, it was one of the things they even debated. Because as prosperity increased, philosophers and theologians could now be paid full-time by the church to just study and read fat books and, and, and to their heart's content and, and debate with other theologians and philosophers. So it produced a lot of discussion, it produced a lot of debate, and because of this, also division in the church over what the scriptures actually taught. In fact, his person, the person of Jesus, was one of the things they debated. Arius taught that Jesus was not fully God and fully man, but rather created, the created and finite Son of God, not God himself. And what happened through all this? What happened as a result of this debate and getting focused on this? Sure, they're focused now even on Jesus, but now they're into the minutia about how whether he's fully God, fully man. Thankfully, this got dealt with 
through, through the, the councils of Nicaea that was brought together to, to end this, and it was the church continued to maintain that the, Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. But still, it's, it's like these kinds of problems were, this is what they were spending their time doing. Because now they, now they could afford to. And as a result, the love of many grew cold. And loving others was not the se- a central component of the church because the simple gossip, gospel of Jesus was not a central component of the church. And then, what do you have? The mission of the church was no longer to make disciples of all nations, but rather to build churches, to debate theology, and to establish the prominence of church officers. Of course, there were some, in saying all this, that you still have some within the church who are continue to hold fast to the gospel, who continue to try to call the church back to the centrality of the gospel, who continue to just like be, be weary of what was happening. And, happening. And, but what you have is the church as a whole, the general move is this church moving in a direction of getting weaker and weaker in terms of the gospel and its mission. And you have people trying to say, hey, hey, come back. Whereas prior to this, you've got the church as a whole moving towards the gospel and the mission of Christ with some factions within it arguing and dividing themselves. When the gospel is not central and everything else peripheral, the church is not healthy. And by natural consequence, it's a church that will not ever be on mission. Greg Boyd also made a, a, a wonderful insight when he said this, the challenge then is not first and foremost to love like Christ. The challenge is to live in Christ's love, for then can we love as Christ loved. And like everything else in our lives, this can only be done in each present moment. He's saying we've got to continually in each present moment. You can't just hear the gospel, then go away. You have to live in the gospel. You have to live in this understanding that God loves me and I'm accepted by him. And you have to, to enjoy and delight in, in what who he is and what he's done for you and your relationship to him. You've got to delight in that. And you, when you know his love and you walk in his love, you love. So, when you're getting out of the shower in the morning and you're awake to Christ's love for you, and you're walking and living in the gospel, it will affect how you greet your spouse and how you think and interact with them and your children. It affects how you love. When you're driving to work and you're abiding in Christ's love through the gospel, you will express this love to the drivers around you, even to the jerk who cuts you off. But if we're not, and our minds are somewhere else, and we've forgotten the gospel, even in our personal lives, we drift away from who we are in Christ, what God's, how God loves us in Jesus. We drift away from that. We get caught up in our own thing, our own agenda. Yeah, and we don't deny the gospel. We believe the gospel. We're just not living in it. When you have an overly talkative or obnoxious co-worker who normally frustrates you, you can't wait to get away from them. Well, you can have compassion on them as God had compassion on you when you live in the gospel. When your rude neighbor makes those, their typical inappropriate remark to you after you pull in the driveway, you, you can pray for them and ask God to minister to them because you know how rude you were to God when he loved you. 
See, when a person, when we understand the gospel, we get how much we've been loved and what he did for us in Christ and the fact that God loves me, it affects the way, it affects the way I live. But if I get away from that, if I, if I pull away from that in any way and I get caught up in my own day, my own concerns, my own cares, my own frustrations, and my will, it's like I, I said in the morning, oh, Lord, your will will be done. But as I got in dr- driving down the highway, I was, oh, God, my will be done. And I could tell, here's where I can tell it's my will be done. The moment the guy cuts me off, he thwarts my will and desire, and I'm angry. I forgot all about God's will. It's not, you know, oh, sorry, you know, God, your will be done. Living in that space, it's, oh, no, my will got thwarted. I'm ticked. And anytime you're getting angry and frustrated, I guarantee you what you'll look at is that your mind was caught up in your agenda, doing your thing, and somebody frustrated you. And you know what? God frustrated you. Not somebody, God. Because God wants, he, he loves you and he wants to expose to you how selfish, how self-centered, how much you live for, for not his kingdom, but yours. And in those moments of life, in the frustrating moments of life, and we've all had them. Have you ever just been so frustrated? What's happening? My will is not being done. But hey, 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 wait, I thought you prayed in the morning. Oh God, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love you. I'm a servant of the Lord my God, and my life is submitted to him, and, and I, I live for him. I don't live for me. Sometimes. Well, at least I thought that when I prayed that this morning. But something happened between then and here. Yeah, you slipped off center. Right? And we all do it. It's so, so what we have to realize is just not just the church from the pulpit preaching and declaring the gospel. We can never get away from this. We have to declare it. That God loves you in Christ Jesus. You've been united to him. He's made you holy simply by believing in him. And that sinks in and we realize, hey, wait a second. I realize who I am. I realize the selfishness of my own heart. I realize how, how covetous I am. I realize how rude I am. I realize how difficult I am. And God still loves me? Yeah, that's the thing. He wants you to really get this. I love this. I love you. In spite of you, I love you. And when we get that, we get who we are and the fact that God loves us and accepts us and brings us into his kingdom and and has given us eternal blessing. At that moment... When you understand, to the degree that you understand that, you now want to treat people around you in the same way. You want to treat them as you've been treated. You want to love as you've been loved. But you slip away from that. You get away from that. And you will all of a sudden have a different paradigm by which you live your life. It will not be gospel centered or focused. It'll be something else. And you know what? This is always the challenge. Because you and I, is it not easy for us to slip off, to get off center? No longer is about the gospel, the love of God for us in Christ Jesus and the love we have for God and one another. What it becomes about is we, even good things, and these are great things, we can get caught up 
We, we become family-focused or centered. We can be all about homeschooling. We can be all about uh, our careers. We can be all about, even within the church, you know, post-millennialism. We can be all about our pet doctrines. Well, we have our doctrinal distinctives. And let's focus. We should focus on our doctrinal distinctives, what makes us distinct from everyone else. We should, hey, let's focus on these. We have some wonderful traditions that if we just kept doing them and focused on them, this, these would be really beneficial. Let's, let's focus on, you know, how we dress for worship. Let's focus on, let's focus on our liturgies and be very specific. And hey, we should really, let's do a whole thing in focusing on be, being a Psalms only church. You know, all these different things. Nothing that I mentioned is bad. In fact, most of that's really good. As long as we hit the center and peripherals in order, we do pretty well. If you look at how Paul even addresses a church, think, think of Galatia, think of Ephesus, think of the Roman church. What does he do? The first thing he does with them is lay down the centerpiece of the gospel and who they are in Jesus and what he's done for them, right? And then he goes on to talk about, what is he, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's a context there, isn't there? What has he said for the first four chapters talking about how God has loved us in Christ Jesus? The gospel has to influence your marriage, your child rearing, your home, your work, and every aspect of life. But if you get too far off and focus on that stuff, next thing you know, you can get a little weird, a little wonky, and you'll find that you have no power to do what you know you ought to do. The power to do it comes from the gospel itself. So that's where our focus needs to be. So forget the gospel, and what will happen? You'll quickly forget to love your neighbor as yourself. You'll quickly forget to love your spouse, your children, fellow church member. So what is the problem when people no longer love, no longer pressing out, no longer on mission, no longer seeking, going after other people? The problem is always right here. My heart has forgotten the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if you want to see whether we're keeping the gospel central or not, simply look at whether you're reaching out or not. I don't want to reach out. Ooh, then you've got a problem within. And that problem within is understanding and knowing what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Because as the Apostle John says, anyone who does not love does not know God, God because God is love. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That says it all right there, doesn't it? This is why the church that gets off mission is a church that has gotten off the gospel, period. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that we... We have heard your word and are so thankful that we have heard the good news about Jesus. And I pray, O oh Lord, for every person here now this morning. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive and understand and know the gospel. That we would know it better today than we knew it yesterday. And tomorrow we would know it still better. And I ask that you would help us to carry it with us day in and day out, that we'd think about you and dwell on you and dwell on your goodness and dwell on your love and dwell on your, your beauty and dwell on you and seek to live our lives, surrender to you, seeking to love others as we have been loved. Oh, Lord, may we know your love. We ask in, in Jesus. Amen.